Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. On Sunday night we were going to begin a new sermon series on the life of David and we actually got a couple of messages in. And then I was gone for a period of time, you were gone for a period of time, we were gone for a period of time, had some flooding issues to contend with. And then we've got the big six Christmas lineup coming up on Sunday night. So I've hold, put that sermon series on hold, if it's okay with you, to January. We'll pick it up again then. And we're going to go ahead and try to knock out the First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians series because when we get to December, we've got Christmas message. It's just busy, isn't it, folks? First Thessalonians chapter 5, the title of the message, Be on Good Behavior. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and in just a moment we're going to begin reading with verse 11 through verse 15. Now, I explained to some of you this morning, at least in one of the morning services, that the church at Thessalonica was founded by the Apostle Paul. He not only was a great theologian, he was not only a great preacher, he was not only a great missionary, but he was a church planner. And he went to the city of Thessalonica in his early days of ministry and he preached a revival. And that revival resulted in people being saved and lives being changed. So a groundswell of Christians was established. And then Paul went away and he sent back Silas and Timothy, his two right-hand men. And they took that group of believers that came to know the Lord from that revival that Paul headed the city of Thessalonica, and they formed the church called the Thessalonian church. Paul would later write back to that church words of exhortation. He would send Silas and Timothy back to that church to help build it up. And what we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians is a letter that Paul sent to the church that he founded, a church that was built up by his right-hand men, Silas and Timothy. And the whole theme of 1 and 2 Thessalonians is look for Jesus. He is coming again. Look for him. And ladies and gentlemen, if they were to look for him 2,000 years ago, how much more should we be looking for Jesus right now? Because they didn't have all of the signs then. We have every single one of them. And they're flashing before our eyes. You have to be blind not to see Something is about to happen. And what is about to happen is Jesus is coming again. Now, the, the problem is, how should we behave if we believe Jesus is coming again? How should we behave among ourselves? That's the question. And we looked at part of that this morning, but Paul is not through with this yet. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning with verse 11, the words of the apostle to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Miles Road. He says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Comfort yourselves together. And edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and to know them that are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. 
Support the weak and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Now we give you a church bulletin every Sunday, and I think some of you read it, actually read it. Well, when you read church bulletins, sometimes you'll discover there are bloopers. There are things that are said that probably could have been better said if you thought about it a little bit more. I was looking at some church bloopers found in church bulletins, and I found this one, announcement in a church bulletin. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to conflict. Another one, ladies, the ladies auxiliary will enjoy fine dining, great singing, and gracious hostility at their next meeting. <laughs> now we laugh at these kind of things and they are humorous, but you know, sadly to say, sometimes there is truth in those humor. Because in some churches, there are more conflict than there is peace. There's more hostility than there is hospitality. And the Apostle Paul understood that in his day. We understand it in our day. And so what he's about to give us in the verses we just read is an admonition, an appeal, not to allow our church or that church of that day to become a place of conflict and a place of hostility. He calls upon the people of God to make their church a church of peace and a fill it with hospitable people. Now you might ask, what is the big deal about having a peaceful church? Because the church is to be different than the world. Remember, we're children of the light. We're children of the day. Those outside the church are children of the night. They're children of the darkness. And the world that we live in is a world of war, it's a world of conflict, it's a world of battles constantly, continually, some of it inward, some of it outward. And Paul says the church needs to be peaceful. It needs to be a place where man is at peace with God, man is at peace with himself, and man is at peace with one another. So this is to be a peaceful church. That's what he's calling the Thessalonican church to be, a peaceful church, that they might stand out like a sore thumb in the world that's around them. He also calls on them to be a, a hospitable people. Now what's the big deal about hospitality? Because I've been pushing it lately. Remember, hospitality is radical friendliness. It goes beyond just asking somebody their name. It goes beyond just waving at somebody and say, Hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? See, that's what we do. And then at the end of that, we say, Bye, see you later. Bye, see you later. Bye, see you later. Listen, that's friendliness. And we all should be friendly. But great churches have hospitality in them. They not only say hi to people, they go up and talk to people. They invite people to be part of their congregation. They be, invite people to be part of the ministry. They know people's names. They pick up on things about those people that make them special. 
and make them want to come back. Somebody's wisely said, when you flatter people, they probably are not going to believe you. When you criticize people, they're probably not going to like you. When you ignore people, they're probably not going to forgive you. But when you are hospitable to people, they'll never forget you. And we need to be a church that, that has hospitality. People are looking for a place where they can come and they can fit in, where they can be part, where they're welcomed, where they're wanted. And if bars can do that, why can't the church do that? So as we await the coming of the Lord, Paul says to those believers, have a peaceful church, have a hospitable people. And then he talks to them about how they need to practice that. The thing I love about the Apostle Paul, he not just says, this is what you're supposed to do, but then he clarifies how you're supposed to do it. Now the first group he's going to address is the leadership. If you're a leader at Miles Road Baptist Church, if you consider yourself a leader, you're over a ministry, you teach a Sunday school class, you teach a discipleship class, you're on staff here, you oversee something that's going on in this church. If you're a leader, stand to your feet. Stand up, come on, don't be shy. Okay, y'all may be seated. Now I ask them to stand because I'm speaking to them now. Now you are seated, I don't want you to feel left out. I'm going to catch you in just a minute. What is the responsibilities of leadership in the church of God? That there might be peace in the church and there might be a spirit of hospitality. Well, let's look and see what Paul says. His words are much better than mine. He says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and to know them that are over you, See that? Over you in the Lord and admonish you. He calls on the church to recognize leadership. And he speaks to the leaders about the kind of leaders they need to be if there's going to be peace in the church and hospitality in the church. First of all, he says that those in leadership positions, in verse 12, follow your Bibles, they should be hard workers. Notice he says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. That word labor is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means to, to work with excellence and to work until exhaustion. It means excellence in your work, and it means you work till you're exhausted. Ministry is not for lazy people. And ministry is not for people who want to do shoddy work. If you're a leader in God's church, you strive for excellence in all that you do, whether it be working in the nursery, whether it be ushering, whether it be sweeping a floor, you be the best that you can be for Jesus. And you do it until he comes again, or you are relieved of duty. You do excellent work, and you do work until you are exhausted. 
hard workers are leaders. Not only should leadership be hard working, they need to be examples. Look at verse 12 again. He says, them which labor among you, you need to know them, and you need to know them that are over you in the Lord. Now that word over you actually is not translated very well. It, it actually means stands before you. Leaders do not give orders. They do not lead from behind, ladies and gentlemen. Leaders of the Lord, they are among the people they lead, and they lead out front, and they lead not only with their lips, but with their life, not only with their exhortations, but with their example, not only with their declarations, but their demonstrations. Action speaks louder than words. And if you're going to have a church of God-blessed leadership, they need to be hardworking men and women who serve with excellence, and they serve until exhaustion. Men and women who serve by example, they don't say, do what I say, they say, do what I do. And they're out front demonstrating that to you in the way that they live their own lives and ministry. And then notice also, he speaks of leadership again. He says, they should be hardworking, they should be examples, and in verse 12, he says, they admonish you. They should be men and women who will admonish you. This word admonish means to correct, to correct, to correct things that are not being done properly, to correct things that are not being taught properly. It actually comes from a Greek word that we could use the word coaching for. I was a football coach, and I admonished the players that were under me. I corrected them on how they thought. I corrected them on how they talked. I corrected them on how they aligned themselves and their responsibilities and how they played the game. The idea is to teach people. Leadership is about teaching people. It's not about hollering and screaming at people and throwing chairs and cups at people. It's about with, with calmness and confidence and cheerfulness and most importantly, Christ-likeness, teaching people how to be better Christians. How can you tell an effective leader? Because the people that he's over advance in their faith for Jesus. The church in which they are part of advances in its faith for Jesus. So Paul is speaking to the leadership. And by the way, I, I thank God that we have great leadership in this church. That's why one of the reasons this church has been blessed of God is we have all-star leadership at so many positions. And I thank God for every one of you that stood. I appreciate you so much. But now he's going on, and he's moving from the leadership who have a responsibility to make the church peaceful and to have a spirit of hospitality there, and they do it through hard work and example and admonishment, and he goes to talking about those who are not in leadership positions. Now, I could ask those of you who are not in a leadership position to stand, but we know who you are because you were seated before. So now I'm going to talk to you a little bit. 
Look at verses 12 and 13 again. These are the responsibilities not of leaders, but of followers, you might say. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and which labor over you in the Lord, and admonish you, that's the leaders, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now this is speaking to the followers. What are you supposed to do with your leaders? To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, if you're not a leader, you're a follower, so you're in one of two camps. And Paul is counseling now those of us who are not yet in leadership positions how we should treat those that are in leadership positions. First of all, in verse 13, he says you're to love the leadership that God has given you. Do you see that word love there? That word love is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means to hold somebody in the highest affection. If I could paint you a picture of that word that's used there, it would show a parent picking up a baby and holding the baby up and looking at that baby with a smile and saying, I love you. That's what you're to do with your leadership. You're to have such an affection for them that you pick them up and you hold them in front of them, you and you love them, you hug them. You show affection toward them. Now let me say this. Love doesn't always agree, does it? How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Do you husband and wives always agree? One gentleman said him and his wife always agree. She's always right. <laughs> but li listen, love doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. There might be times when you disagree with leadership. But you still love them. Love doesn't always mean we're sweet and cuddly with one another. Sometimes we might get on each other's nerves. Sometimes I might get on your nerves. Believe it or not, I might. And you might get on mine. Love doesn't mean that we're always sweet and cuddly. It doesn't always mean we agree. It doesn't mean that we don't get frustrated and aggravated about things. But what it does mean is this. We don't tear people out and we don't trash people. We hold people up and we look at them and we say, we love you, we, we care for you, we appreciate you. You're to love the leadership that God gives you because leadership comes from God. That's a good place for an amen. If you believe God called me to this church, you need to love me. If you believe God called this staff to this church, you need to love them. If you believe God called the men who serve on our deacon leadership team to that position, you need to love them. If you believe that God calls people to serve in other leadership positions, you need to love them. I didn't say agree with them. I didn't say have warm fuzzies toward them all the time. And I didn't say sometimes you won't get downright aggravated with them. But you're to love them. You love them. You're also to welcome their work. You're to welcome their work. Notice he says to esteem them in verse 13 very highly in love for their work's sake. So 
Some of us don't understand, and I'm going to help you understand, that when you become a leader, you take on responsibility. Many of you have leadership roles outside the church in your job. And I think anybody who's a leader will tell you that leadership brings with it responsibility. And whenever you have responsibility placed on you, it generally means long hours, stress, pressure, and criticism. It all goes with it. And I know many of you understand that. It's true in the church. It's true in the secular world. Leadership brings responsibility. Responsibility brings criticism, stress, pressure, long hours, tiredness, weariness, and all that goes with it. The people of God are not like the people out there. You're to love your leadership and you're to appreciate the work that they do in the name of Jesus on your behalf. Because if you don't, you won't have them very long. If I stand before you tonight, there is a crisis in the ministry. Ministers are falling out rapidly from the ministry. We're losing more ministers every year than we're replacing with new ministers. Statistics tell us that the average minister stays in the average church less than two years before he's gone. He's either gone by his choice, their choice, or both choices. The average minister will be out of the ministry. 50% of the average ministers that go into the ministry will be out of the ministry in five years. They're burned out, they're stressed out, they're unappreciated, they're not able to handle the pressure of the position. Do you see the ministry today is in a crisis? And if something doesn't change, churches are going to close their doors down because they can't find anybody to lead them. Appreciate the people that God gives you in leadership. Now, you might think I'm tooting my own horn, but I'm not. Because I was a follower before I was ever a leader. And I was a deacon before I was ever a pastor. I understand what it's like to be a follower. I understand what it's like to be a deacon. I understand what it's like to be a Sunday school teacher. I understand what it's like to be a pastor. And we are to appreciate the leadership that God gives us. And yet many people, I won't say it's you, I'm speaking in general. All they do is grumble and mumble and gossip and murmur about the people God gave them. And that is wrong unto God. I'll change the conversation just a moment to surgeons. You ever had anybody ever had some surgery here? Raise your hand. All right, a few of you. Those who haven't raised your hand, your time will come, I promise you. Do you know it takes about 10 to 12 years of post-high school education to become a surgeon? I mean, it's, it's lengthy schooling. You just don't walk in and put, a, put up brain surgery like Jethro Bodine did on Beverly Hillbillies. You know, he did do that. It, it takes a lot of schooling to become a surgeon. 
And the average debt for a surgeon, when he comes out and begins his practice, most of them, on the average, have a quarter of a million dollars in debt to repay. $250,000 out of the gate they have to repay in order to be a surgeon. They have to give up 10 to 12 years of their lives to get educated. Every time they operate, they're dealing with life and death situations. They're on call 24-7, on call 24-7 to respond to emergencies. They have to maintain an office. They have to maintain a payroll. They have to do all of that. And what do we do? We, we, be, we begrudge their compensation, do we not? We complain about how much they charge us to do the surgery they do on us. We're all guilty of it. But I say to you, listen to me, they deserve every penny and probably more. Would you not agree? If you don't agree with me, next time you need surgery, go down to Bilo's and get the butcher to do your surgery. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And when it comes to quality of leadership, sometimes you get what you pay for. You can't get things on the cheap, church. And again, I'm just letting you know that. If you want the best surgeon, and I certainly want the best surgeon if he's operating on me, I want to know he's got some education. I want to know he's got some experience. I want to know he knows where he's supposed to operate on me. But some of them don't. <laughs> and that's what Paul is saying here. We're not only to love our leadership, but we need to support them and stand with them. Because I'll gladly change my position with some of you if you want it. And I promise you, you'd give it back to me. Also, we're, you're to promote peace. Notice he says, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, we want to have a peaceful church. We want to have a hospitable church. We want to have a church that's waiting for the coming of Jesus. We need, we need to understand that our leadership has responsibilities, and they need to fulfill them. We need to understand that you as the people have responsibilities, and you need to fill them. And the last responsibility that we as a church are to have to our leadership is we're to help promote peace. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when the brethren live in fighting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't look very carefully. In unity. You're to promote peace. You know how you promote peace? By lifting one another up and loving one another and not tearing each other down and trashing each other and gossiping and murmuring and criticizing and complaining and grizzling and griping. That doesn't accomplish anything but create an atmosphere of discord and division. And that's why we see so many churches today that are dying on the vine because if you walk into them, you've got the Hatfields and McCoys. This side don't like this side. This side don't like that side. There's friction. There's faction. There's fussing. There's fighting. 
It's like the old county hall days of professional wrestling. You got the good guys and the bad guys, the baby face and the heels. They're constantly battling. Good people promote peace. Amen? They stop gossip by not passing it on. They stop murmuring by standing against it. They stop conflict by getting rid of the conflict maker. That makes sense? You know, gossip can end very quickly if you won't take it anywhere. And people who tell the gossip, it ends with them too. If you'll just say, listen, I don't want to hear it. That's not who we are around here. We don't want to hear it. Again, it's not about being perfect. Nobody's perfect. It is about understanding I have a responsibility, and all the leaders of this church have a responsibility to you. And you have a responsibility to us. And then we have a responsibility, lastly, all of us to each other. Not just this way, not just this way, but this way. Verse 14, as we close. Now we exhort you, brethren, you who are rulers, you who are followers. What are we all supposed to do? Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. Okay? Let's break that down real quick. Warn them which are unruly. That word unruly is a military word. It means to put a soldier who's out of line back in formation. It means to put a soldier who's out of position back in position. In that day, soldiers fought in formations. And formation was important because the soldier on the right or the soldier on the left had to be in tune with you. Because if he didn't do his job, your life was threatened. And that's really the same thing spiritually. We have to be one if we're to withstand the attacks of the devil. Because they're coming. And the idea is, is that we call people back to their position. We've warned the unruly. We say, listen, you don't need to be here. You need to be over here. You don't need to be over there. You need to be part of us. Again, you don't have to agree with us. You don't have to always have warm fuzzies. You don't always have to feel like everything's going to be tiptoe through the tulips type things. It can be frustrating. It can be aggravating. But we're to be one. We're to be one. We're to warn the wayward to get back into position, lest they bring their own fall in us too. We're to encourage the worried. You notice it says there, comfort the feeble-minded. That word feeble-minded doesn't mean they're weak in the head. It means they're weak in the heart. They get easily discouraged. And it's our job as Christians to be cheerleaders and to cheer them back, to encourage them back, to call them back, not just to put them in place, but to call them with love to come back to that place. And you can do that with words. You can do it with touch. You can do it with a little gift. You can do it with prayer. 
You can do it with an invitation to join you in something. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, Pastor, where's so-and-so been? They ain't been here for eight weeks. I said, well, why don't you call so-and-so and find out? That's what we're to do. All of us are to do. We all do the work of the ministry. And that's to take people who have drifted and put them back in place and to take people who are, who are outside and bring them back to the inside to be part of us. And then he says, notice lastly, support the weak. That means to prop up somebody who's about to collapse. You know, we got a lot of folks that are teeter-tottering. Life is not always fair. Life is not always easy, is it, church? And there's people right now, maybe you're one of them, you're just kind of leaning like the leaning tower of Pisa. And you're headed downward. We're to help you get back in position. We're to encourage you that you're one of us. And we want you here. And we're to prop those people up lest they fall. We have people here that are sick that need to be propped up. We need to do that. We have people here that are going through separations and divorces. They need to be propped up. We got people going through financial setbacks and have stress in their life with their children and grandchildren. We got some who are being persecuted at their jobs. We got others that are battling with addictions and sin. And what are we supposed to do with those people? Push them down, Pastor. <laughs> no. We're to hold them up. Hold them up. What would you want somebody to do to you if you were about to fall? Lecture you? Admonish you? Finish kicking you on over? Be careful how you treat others because I promise you that's how you're going to get through this. What goes around comes around. If you throw a boomerang, be careful, it'll come back. So that's what Paul says. And then he closes out by saying, do it all with patience. See verse 14, be patient toward all men. Be patient toward the unruly. Be patient toward the feeble-minded. Be patient toward the weak. You say, why does he want us to be patient? Because there are always people like that. They're never going to go away. And as the coming of the Lord draws near, there's going to be more and more of them. So we need to be patient. That word patient means to stay with it. And don't give up. So leaders, be the best you can be. And do the best that you can for the glory of the Lord. Followers, support your leadership. Appreciate them. And may every one of us make each other better for Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for the leadership of this church. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the followers of the leadership of this church. I pray for the entire church, leadership or followers.
that we would not only be hearers of the word as we've been tonight, but we would be doers of the word. That as we await the coming of Jesus, Miles Road Baptist Church might be a place of peace. That Miles Road Baptist Church might be a hospitable place where people come because we know their name and they know they're wanted and welcomed here. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.